Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod, where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Darug people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I would also like to acknowledge Tangata Finawa of Tefanganui Atara, where I'm recording today. One of my favourite things about TARDIS Pod is that you always say, Kiora! I'm like, oh! she can say that because she's kiwi (laughs) i'm also the first one to go so i'm the one who says hi (laughs) so i can say kyoto that's cute makes me happy what did you get up to this week what sparked joy for you um probably i got home last night from the gym and there was a lovely treat box waiting for me on my front doorstep and my friend emily had sent it to me because I was so horrifically ill on Wednesday, she sent me a little get well package. Aww. And it only arrived on Friday when I had made a miraculous recovery. Um, but it was lovely. It had like shortbread in it and chocolate and like some lemon ginger tea, which is what I'm drinking right now. So that was Aww, really sweet. Amazing. I was so sad that your donut place didn't deliver. Because I was like, maybe I'll just have them send her donuts. But I'm glad that Emily got something to you. Way to go, Emily. Is yeah. this Ock Emily? Yeah. Way to go, Ock Emily. Very kind. So it was made me very happy. She's like, sorry that it's like two days late. But I'm like, it doesn't matter. It's still so lovely and such a nice surprise. And yeah, yesterday was a tough day. It was a tough week. So it was a nice way to come home and be reminded of joy. Um, What sparked joy for you this week? Uh, It was soccer presentation day for my daughter. So it was her first ever soccer season. And yes, we're still giving trophies out to every member of the team. But (laughs) it was definitely like, you're aware that it's a participation trophy. It's not a trophy like you win. It's like, hey, you did this really enormous thing and we're all recognizing it. But my daughter got one. And the thing they said about her was so great. They said she was a tenacious tackler and she had the best back heel in the game. And it has become her signature move. And like everybody who's seen her play is like, wow, she really loves that back heel. It just made me think like she she didn't know that you couldn't do a back heel kick. Like nobody ever told her that that wasn't an option. So she just folded it into getting the ball out of the way or getting it back into the game. So it didn't go out because I think she gets frustrated when it goes out and then they have to stop and someone kicks or throws it back in. Mm -hmm. So she's like, well, screw that. I'm just going to kick it back in backwards. And so it's become her thing. But it's just she was beaming to get that a recognition and she just really loved being part of her team i love that i love that she's got tenacious tackler because she was so nervous when she first started that like she was didn't really want to get involved didn't really want to tackle and now she's like yeah she's in there good job <laughs> she's telling me i wish i could just knock them over and i'm like oh <laughs> maybe we should maybe you should try rugby, rugby. <laughs> <laughs> i definitely thought about suggesting it but i was like so many head injuries in rugby not so much if she plays sevens then she won't get tackled so much not so many concussion concerns she might still try and tackle other people which is my worry but that's okay i just yeah so proud of her great nice little moment of joy and oh well this week we're reading chapters 35 to 39 through the theme of hesitation and i was supposed to do a story but i've decided to farm it out to you because i've already (laughs) told a hesitation story So do you have something for us? I do. I'm going to tell a story of two hesitations, one that happened and one that didn't. And Mm -hmm. I just want to preface the story by saying there is a mention of attempted suicide. So please skip ahead a few minutes if you need to. We'll put the timestamp to skip forward to in the show notes. But, you know, just look after yourself. We don't want anyone to feel like they have to listen to something that might be potentially triggering. No. Okay. When I was 18, I worked in a coffee shop. It was a big chain, but because the store had been there for almost 
two decades, it had a really solid customer base and it had become most people's long-term local. I loved mm-hmm. that job. I loved my coworkers and I loved my customers. I was really good at making coffee and I really loved my community. It was just a wonderful job in so many ways, but there were definitely some things that happened at the job that I could not have been prepared for. On this particular morning, it was winter, it was sunny, and a woman came in on my shift. She emerged from the bathroom and told me over the bar in almost a whisper that she had just taken 200 paracetamol tablets and could I please call her an ambulance. I remember her very vividly. She had red hair, like the kind of red that doesn't happen on its own. Her face was so serene. She was so calm, very matter of fact. She had done this thing, and she knew the next step was to get an ambulance, so she put the burden of saving her life on me. She didn't even hesitate to do that. Mm. I am always good in a crisis, so I was like, all right, I know exactly what to do. I asked one of my coworkers, Erin, to stay with her, and I went in the back room to make the phone call. Once I was in the back room, though, I couldn't breathe. It felt like someone had just sucked all of the air out of my lungs. I had to make this call, but my manager and my assistant manager were sitting at the desk blocking access to this phone, and I just lost all of my words. I couldn't explain why I needed the phone. It was crushing to think I couldn't do it, that I couldn't make this call, which I realized later I really wanted to make it privately because this person's life was like hanging in the balance. I was a really good rule follower and I didn't want to be rude, but I needed that phone. And the assistant manager was giving me this nasty glare and the manager was like, what is it you need? Like, what am I supposed to say? Do I say like someone tried to kill themselves in the bathroom? Do I tell them that I need to call an ambulance? Do I need to call an ambulance? Do I need to call 911 or do I need to call a police non-emergency? Like, who do I, like, what do I do? When I finally got the words out, my assistant manager yelled at me for taking so long, but the store manager just calmly dialed the number and handed me the phone. I had to make the call hunched over, though, with my back to them. I was trying not to cry, and this phone cord was stretched between us, and I felt so much judgment over my hesitation, over my blind and terrible panic, and I was just really ashamed of that overwhelming moment for years afterward. I don't think that the woman died that day. She was really lucid and really calm when the paramedics came. I got sent home early because I couldn't stop crying, but Aaron had a long talk with her while they waited for paramedics. She hadn't been out of inpatient care for very long, he told me later, and she was really struggling to cope. This was her way of getting back into a place where she knew she could Mm. get the help she needed. But even though I don't know what happened to her, I think about her often. I still think about her. I hope she's alive. I hope she's okay. I never got her name, but she didn't hesitate to ask me to be responsible for her life. And I didn't hesitate to take that on. I just got stuck trying to navigate how to do it. And mm. I didn't know then how responsible I really was for her or or how responsible I am. I still don't. I just know now that if there's a problem, I don't really ever let myself hesitate. I leap in to fix it, even if I don't know the right way. I will at least get started. Mm, that's so hard. That's a horrible position to be in. And I don't think you should definitely not beat yourself up for hesitating or not knowing how to react in that moment because who knows, right? Like you, it's such an unusual position to be in and it's absolutely not your responsibility and you did an amazing job. So good job. You got it done. It was just really hard. I'm not resentful about it, but I did sort of think later like, wow, that's a thing to put on someone. Like that is a lot to put on someone. I mean, she could have picked any of us, but I was the only girl working that day. And I think that might be why she waited until I was behind the bar to come and talk to me. I think that if I were hurting that much, I wouldn't want to talk to some random guy, you know? Mm. Also, you're a helper. You're a kind person. Maybe she just (laughs) sensed that. She's like, this is the one. It is one of those things where I sort of think it's hard when you have to ask for help 
and you maybe don't know how to ask for help the right way, so you go the full extreme. That may have been one of those situations, but I hope she's okay. Ideally, people would get the help they need and ask for without having to go to some extreme measures, but unfortunately, this is the position that people are in. Yeah, and for sure in the US, I know that without having insurance, like healthcare costs a lot of money all the time. Yeah, and you have to do extreme things to, to get there. Yeah, get exactly. It. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so scary. God. Yeah. And it's always stressful calling an ambulance. Like I did six years working medical reception and sometimes mm. the doctor would be like, okay, you have to call an ambulance because this person is having a thing. And I'm like, okay. every time is stressful. Every time yeah. you have to call and you're like, they ask you how the person is and what's happening. I'm like, I don't know. I was just told to call the ambulance. <laughs> what do you here. want from me? Yeah. Please just send an ambulance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I don't want to say that the last few times I've done all the driving, but there was one time when my husband nearly went septic and I was like, do you need me to get the kids up and drive you? And he's like, no, I'll drive myself. And then they put him on like every antibiotic, so many pain pills and admitted him to hospital like within two hours. And I was like, I really should have gotten the kids up to drive you. I shouldn't have made you drive yourself. It's fine. It's okay. But I feel like when it's you, it's, when it's an injury to yourself, you don't realize how serious it is. You just get on with it. Like I, when I broke my wrist and cracked two ribs, I drove the hour back from the place where it happened home. Oh I was gosh. like, this is fine. Like it hurts a little bit, but this is fine. And my mum took like one look at me when I walked in the door and she's like, um, we're going to the emergency department. Am I a bad person for admitting that when my son broke his leg and I kind of knew he had broken something? I was like, let's just stop at the house and get all of the devices and charging cables. <laughs> like it's an extra five minutes, but I have a feeling we're going to be there for a while. I mean, you just live right by the hospital, so yeah. it's fine. It's basically yeah. on the way. It's like an eight minute walk if you're yeah. moseying. So it literally was on the way. Like we had to pass my street to get there, but um, I still was like, this is kind of dodgy of me to stop. I think my kid is a broken bone but I mean they can't fix it any sooner and he'll be so bored if I don't get all the devices yeah that's just self-preservation that's smart they were all like wow you had a full backpack packed and I was like yeah that was just incidental amazing um oh well thank you for sharing oh no happy to sorry it was such a dark story okay listeners it's safe you can come back now <laughs> okay well I'll do our chapter summaries then so we can crack on with it thank you so this week, Anna wakes up hungover and very regretful, but she and Rajmi get closer over a late breakfast heart-to-heart. -heart. Sinclair and Anna are at an impasse. He wants to stay friends and she's just hurting all of the time. Dave makes a pass and Anna's kind of okay with it until she's really, really not. Etienne's mom gets the clean bill of health and he celebrates by convincing Anna to skip Meredith's soccer game. And when he tells Anna he'd kiss her if he, she asked, she asks. Meredith is distraught. Anna is freaking out. Everything is terrible. And then Amanda takes the opportunity to be a homophobe and Anna finally snaps and punches her. And like, I know violence is not the answer, but you know what? Sometimes it's justified and very satisfying. Yep. Amanda deserved that. She deserved a lot worse too. I would have done the same thing. Hard same. That was a very shocking and awful thing for her to do. Absolutely. That's where I wanted to start, actually. I wanted to start by talking about that fight because Anna is currently in a fight with Meredith, who has just hurt her feelings so badly that she's in the bathroom trying not to throw up. And then someone comes up to her and is like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be homophobic. And she calls Meredith a dyke, which is not a slur inherently, but it was definitely used like a slur here. And Anna doesn't even hesitate. She does not hesitate. She's like, I will murder you. I will murder you so hard. I'm here for it. Yeah, she also warns her, like, she's like, don't call her that. Mm. And she still carries on and she doubles down on it. So, I don't know, it's kind of like, if around and find out. So you found out. This yep. is what happens. But definitely rough. Like, Amanda's been awful the whole time, but like, this was the crossing the line awful that sometimes they're like, oh, right, yeah, no, we can't just ignore it or roll our eyes on it. We have to actually, like, 
take action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, you can always punch a Nazi, so maybe that goes for homophobia as well. You know, you know how I feel about punching people who are mean and horrible. <laughs> the Ronan Lynch way and I'm here for it. You did take boxing last year, I remember this. I did and I will again once I move into my new house. Um, okay, so let's talk about this fight that Meredith and Anna has. I'm just gonna say it. I'm just gonna say it. I'm just gonna say it. Anna is a bad friend. She is a terrible friend. I don't think she's particularly nice to be around. I don't really know. Like, she has this confrontation. Well, not confrontation, but she, you know, rushed me, put her to bed, got her home when she was drunk, then, like, checks up her on in the morning to see how she is, invites her down to breakfast, has toast ready for her. Rashmi says, you should thank me, and she's, like, all sassy about it, like, thanks, I don't have time for Rashmi's nonsense right now. Then she gets to breakfast, and, like, she's rude to Rashmi, and then Rashmi's like, yeah, I don't spend all my time with Josh, and Anna's like, what does she say? She's like, oh, yeah, that's why we hang out all the time. And Rashmi has this great line where she says, I know it'll come as a shock to you, Anna, but you aren't the only one with problems. And I think that this is so good because Anna has such main character blinkers on. Like, she honestly just thinks she's the only one in her friendship group that anything ever happens to. And she should feel bad about it. Like, she says after that thing, like, she talks to Rashmi and Rashmi has so much going on. Yeah. Spills it all. And she says, I feel so ashamed. I never realized she didn't have anyone to talk with. And I'm like, yeah, you should be ashamed. You should be. Yeah, yeah. But I think that that shows that even though Anna is a bad friend, she's also capable of growing because their friendship does get better, right? Yeah, I mean, she does remember that Rashmi is a real individual with her own thoughts and feelings, and now she's actually checking up on it. I mean, it's horrible that she had to be reminded of that fact by Rashmi. But then her and Sinclair skip Meredith's football game, and I think this is unforgivable. Like, I think this is what Meredith should be mad about. It shouldn't, like, not only are they making out, but they skipped her soccer game to do it. They made it 15 minutes into this game and then they skipped out. That is not good enough. It's like a sixth of the game, right? Yeah, 90 minutes soccer games, right? Yeah. And I say this as someone who has a lot of jock friends and I have been to a lot of games that I am not interested in and do not know a single thing about and I sit through those games. Yep. I sit through them because I'm a good friend and I do not accept this. This is terrible from both of them. And I'm actually quite angry with Etienne for suggesting it because he's the one who's like, let's go outside, let's go outside. Like, I read that as him... It's like his mom got this clean bill bill of health and he's like, I don't have to worry anymore because everything's okay. And like, so he just stops hesitating with Anna. Like he's more open. He's more like, let's go do a thing. Like I'm like, he's more present. He's ready. Cause it isn't before his mom is better. Like it's not before his mom gets that clean bill of health. Like they're out celebrating. They went to marry the soccer game. He's like, let's go do something else. Let's skive off and go to the garden. And the garden sounds amazing, but like, honestly, you're there at the game. Go to the game, be at the game. Yeah, like I love that. I, they have a lovely moment. The kiss, the way it's described, it's lovely. All of it's lovely. But also I'm just fuming that they've skipped out on Meredith's game. And yeah. then Meredith is upset. She runs off. Rashmi is done with all of their nonsense. Like she is so done with it. Yeah. And then, you know... Meredith lashes out when Anna tries to talk to her after Rashmi told her not to talk to Meredith. So she can't even respect that. So she goes to knock on Meredith's door, which is all about making herself feel better. It's Mm. not about, like, it's not about Meredith at all. Yeah. And then Meredith says to her, well, he's with Ellie right now. And then she goes into the bathroom and, like, feels like she's going to throw up. But it's not because she feels bad about the situation with Meredith. She feels bad because she thinks Etienne has gone back to Ellie. That's what makes her throw up. Like, she's actually just, this section, I'm like, you are not a nice person. She's very flawed. And I will say that I really do love unlikable and flawed female characters. So I'm here for Mm. this. Like I'm here for Anna being just kind of young and dumb. 
but it's really yeah. frustrating because I think she has all of the tools and she has all of the information and I need her to actually stop being so inward focused and like maybe actually look at the people around her. I just, I, I really feel like it's so unfair to Meredith who has been holding out this hope. When Anna starts dating Dave, Meredith is like really positive and encouraging and I think that's because she was hoping yeah. Right? It takes her out of the equation. So they'll, you know, they've had, she knows there's a flirtation between Etienne and Anna. Mm. If Anna is dating Dave, it's not so bad. The whole Dave thing, Anna should definitely have hesitated there before getting yeah. involved with that. Like, that is purely motivated by spite and it's not a nice thing. It's like, oh, he's here and he's willing. So I'm just going to, like, make out with him. You know, you could just not date, right? Like, that is an option, Anna. You don't have to date anyone who's like, oh, Dave's available and Sinclair's not, so I guess I'll date Dave. Like, you could just not do any of it. I kind of wondered if it ended up being, like, they were dating because they got caught kissing and she wasn't like, oh, um, thanks, but no thanks. But, like, because they got caught kissing and she saw that it actually, like, made Meredith kind of happy and made Sinclair kind of crappy she was like hmm that's the only thing I don't think she, yeah she's only doing it to make Sinclair jealous right and yeah, like, yeah. it's so youthful there's a very clear element of youth but also the way I kind of just hate like the whole Dave thing is so gross like she's gross with like the reasons that she's dating Dave is not nice like Dave yeah. genuinely likes her like he doesn't deserve that and I say again I say that as someone who has done this to many a guy don't do this it's not nice to just yeah. date people because they're there and secondly I think her friends are really mean about Dave. Like, they're constantly yeah. making comments. Like, Sinclair is obviously acting like a child, belittling very him. Very immature, very young. She talks about how she, she feels embarrassed for Dave and for herself. Like, she's embarrassed to be seen with him, which is another clear sign that you should not be dating him. Yeah. Or kissing him. She should have hesitated before going to his room, but again, he asks in front of her friends and they're laughing. So she's like, okay, I'm doubling down. I'm going to go to his room. And it's gross. It's so gross. Page 298, I fight revulsion as I fly down the stairs to my room. What was I thinking? I could have contracted any number of life-threatening diseases. Okay, this is part of my tangential, but Mike peeing in the shower is just disgusting. I'm all for being in the shower when you're having a shower, but just using the shower as a toilet is not okay. It's gross. No, I'm not into it. Not into it. But she's also so judgmental. Like, we know that she is very judgmental, right? But she has this thing where she describes one of the juniors... As being, oh God, she talks about how she stretches so that her belly button is on display, her belly button ring, so that Paul slash Pete can see it. And then she's like, oh, please. And I'm like, wow, this is a lot of judgment for a girl who is incredibly desperate and behaves incredibly desperately. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you're looking in a mirror, honey. She is. She's very much not like other girls, but she's totally doing the same things and she's being just as weird. And she's also being weirdly jealous with that, like when Dave and his friends come in and that mm-hmm. girl's like, oh, 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 she's like, why is she hanging off of him? And she just feels that weird jealousy. And it's like, it just, it feels like she just needs something that's hers and she's not got anything that's hers. Like, but Dave is not the thing. Etienne isn't even really the thing. Okay, no, we need to talk about her absolutely unhinged, jealous reactions because they really get to me. Like, <laughs> She even gets jealous of Bridget and Toph going to prom. She doesn't even care about these things, but she cares like on, in principle that someone else is having an experience that she is not the main character. This is no, the no, thing, right? I, and- I, have, I have things to say about prom. Prom is a rite of passage. She hadn't really thought about it, but then when she realized she wouldn't be going, it was like... I don't get to go to prom and it's just like she even says it's just another thing that her dad like takes away from her she has that conversation with Sinclair where they've obviously talked about it previously because he's Mm. like you said you didn't care about prom we talked about how dumb it is blah 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 so this is not the first time she's thought about it yeah it's like in 10 things I had about you when Kat was like I'm not going to prom 
I don't know. You know, it's again very not other girlsy to be like, I don't care about prom and then have a breakdown about prom. Yeah. And like, it's weird that Sinclair is like, no, this is terrible. Why would anyone go when I know that schools all over the world have formals? So this is not a unique to America. Yeah, thing. but formals aren't big in other countries. Like, they are big in South Africa, but they definitely weren't big in Australia. Like, we had formals, but they weren't like prom level. Because there are a couple of them, right? There are like a couple throughout the year. Year 10 and year 12, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what they do in the UK. I assume they would have something. I don't know. Never seen it on a TV show, really. And in the South, also, they do debutante. One of my friends in Australia had a debutante ball. Like, had to go do a deb. So some people do still debut into society. So... (laughs) I mean, I saw it on the Gilmore Girls and I was like, well, this is weird. Oh, yeah. Very strange. But, you know, you just have a formal if you want to have a formal. This is the great thing about becoming an adult. If you want to have a fancy party, just have a fancy party. You don't need to wait for a formal occasion as an excuse. Honestly, hire a DJ, book a hall, invite all your friends, invite all of their friends, have Hmm. a fancy dress party. Sounds like fun. Yeah. So to get back to the unhinged jealousy. (laughs) Because all of it stems from this perceived rejection. Like, she sees everything as rejection. Like, she says to Etienne, they have that fight on page... Well, not a fight. This loud disagreement when he comes down for his hangover breakfast. Yeah. And she's like, you know, you spent the night with her. No, Etienne. He says, no, I didn't. I haven't spent the night with Ellie in a long time, not since before Christmas. So I need to unpack that because that's a whole other thing. So let's just park that. And then she follows that up with like, I put myself out there and you rejected me. I won't make that mistake again. I mean, did he reject you? Like, I don't think there was a rejection there. And then again, when he runs after Meredith, she's like so upset, but she's upset because he's leaving her for Meredith. Like he's like, he's rejecting me in front of everyone, page 312, which I actually felt feral reading this. Like I felt unhinged myself because I'm like, (laughs) he is not rejecting you. I don't understand why you're reading this as rejection. So she clearly has a big rejection hang up. Like that's clearly what is motivating almost everything that happens. It also motivates her feeling so ill when Meredith says to her, oh, you know, he's chosen Ellie because again, she's perceiving this rejection, yeah. which is not what is happening. But it also made me laugh because it reminds me of my best friend's wedding. You know, when Julia um, Roberts's character is trying to break up her best friend and his new fiance, who is Cameron mm-hmm. Diaz, and then she kisses him, and then the fiance sees it, and then she runs away, and then he chases after her, and then Julia chases after him, and then it turns into a cart chase, and she steals a catering truck to continue chasing after him. She calls her best friend, who is the delightful Rupert Everett, and he's like, but who's chasing you? No one. Ooh. There's your answer. Yeah. Because she's like, I'm trying to stop this wedding. He's going to choose me. And he's like, he's not chasing you. That's all you need to know. Stop acting like this. He's not chasing you, which is not what is happening in this situation. Yeah. Etienne is not choosing Meredith over Anna, but it did make me think of that. He literally just needed to say, I have to go tell Meredith that I'm not interested in her and I need to go tell Ellie that it's over. Like, he needed to hesitate for, like, literally a second and tell the girl that he's actually in love with what he's going to do so that she doesn't freak out. Because he has been really kind of awful to her. And I can completely see why she's like, great, he's rejecting me again. Because he literally has done that every other time. I do think Meredith kind of fanned the flames on that just because she was so hurt she wanted to lash out. Yeah, oh yeah, 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 absolutely. That She said that and to get a reaction to her Anna because she's hurting. I definitely yeah. agree with that. Do you think Sinclair is leading Meredith on like Rashmi says? I do think his behavior is a bit terrible. I mean, I don't think that Rashmi is wrong and I don't think that Josh is wrong, but I don't think they're, either of them are completely right either. No, but I do love that Josh is like, on page 313, you know, he's been dating Ellie for a year and a half. You'd think that's his discouragement enough. And he's like, oh, sorry, Anna. And she just like sobs next to him. <laughs> it's very Josh, isn't it? I can't decide whether or not I actually like Josh or if I'm annoyed by him. Because half the time I'm like, this 
walnut just is doing nothing like he's just finding things to do that are not classwork and he should just at least do some of his homework and stop ditching like I just get annoyed like from a you could be so much better level and then there's the part of me that's like but also he's actually quite sensitive and he's really in the wrong school and he needs to be somewhere that like responds to his strengths and helps him to be better at who he is so like I'm of two minds but I do love that he just loves Sinclair and is like he's ride or die for Sinclair which I think is really beautiful and that was one of the better things I think like sometimes when you're young you do have those friendships which are just so inviolable and I feel like Josh and Sinclair have that like they're probably the best friends of the entire group yeah and yet Sinclair calls Anna his best friend yeah he does but see Josh doesn't seem to have any like jealousy towards Anna he's very secure in his place in Mm -hmm. Sinclair's life which is delightful because I feel like that's what we're missing in the other ones. Everyone is so insecure. No one really knows where they stand with each other, which enables this whole like rejection narrative. We're in competition with each other. Do I now ship Josh and Sinclair a little bit? Oh my gosh. I read this book a couple of weekends ago and I was like, these two, these two best friends just need to end up together. And I'm like, <laughs> there are no female characters in this book. The lead character is supposedly in love with a woman who does not appear or, and is not named in this book. She's just like off screen. I assume she comes into the second book. Don't know. I'm not going to read the second book because I'm like, why are these two not together? If you're not going to bother to put the love interest in the book, just let them shack up together. <laughs> Look, I'm about to start watching a show. Bethany has tumbled me into it and I keep like trying to suss out how canon they are because I'm tired of my OTPs not being canon and I feel like I got super lucky because the expanse has a fantastic canon ship but I was like so what happens to these people how brokenhearted am I gonna be and Bethany's like no no it'll be good trust me but I find that sometimes you need to know if something is going to go a certain way before you can like invest and commit that's why I read the last chapter sometimes I'm like I just need to know how this is like is this going where I think it's going like I need to know how invested I'm gonna get otherwise I'm gonna get too angry so I need to know it can be very stressful I'm happy to read the whole thing but sometimes I wish I hadn't wasted my day reading the whole thing yeah it's like when I read a slow burn and I have to skip I have to skip because I'm like where is the kiss where is the first kiss how long do I have to wait for the first kiss I'm like three quarters of the book okay at least now I know so then I can go back and focus on what I'm reading otherwise I'm just thinking about when is it happening I love a slow burn I love the deliciousness so let's talk about this whole thing where Etienne's like, I haven't spent the night with Ellie since before Christmas. He is so checked out of this relationship. It is appalling that he can't just, like, that he hasn't ended it. It really is. And, like, he had the perfect opportunity after Anna's birthday to just even break up with Ellie and then be like, I just need some time. Because that would be fair. I think he definitely needs to be on his own for a bit. Like, this is someone who definitely needs to be on his own for a bit. No shade to Anna. I know that they vibe, but he's got to be able to, like, cope and heal and exist without a crutch. And he cannot do that. Yeah. And he needs to figure out how to deal with things. He can't just be like, well, I've got one stressful thing in my life, so everything else is just going to go to pieces. Because this is the problem, right? Like, his mum is sick, so this is the only thing he can deal with. He can't upset anything else. That's not how life works. Things go wrong together simultaneously all the time. You can't be going through life being like, oh, oh, well... Everything happens so much, yeah. I think he would definitely benefit from therapy, possibly some medication, lots and lots and lots of therapy, though. He's not as resilient as he could be, and he does have a crappy dad. He is in the throes of this really confusing, like, I'm still with my first girlfriend, but I think I found my forever person, which is just an awful situation. And, like, Anna calls him out on it a few times. She says, like, oh, what's your problem? You can keep dating Ellie, but I can't talk to other guys. Like, she says it, and he's Which like, is oh, fair. yeah. And it, it was right of her to be like, you can't behave like this. Like, you just can't act like we're together when we're not. 
Because you're right. Yeah, he's checked yeah. out of his relationship with Ellie. He just, it's like he's got this backup person. It's really terrible. Yeah, I agree that, I agree with Anna that he can't be annoyed at her talking to Dave, but she's also talking to Dave specifically to annoy him. So it's a bit disingenuous. It's kind of yeah. like, come on. But he also acts terribly every time that Dave is around. He just acts horrible behavior. Horrible behavior. He, he picks on him for things that aren't his fault. Like, you can't help how your teeth are and you can't help what you look like. And you can't help your name. Like, you can't help that stuff. When she compares their hands, she's like, Dave has little boy hands. I'm like, what is happening right now? <laughs> she's like, Etienne's hands are just right. I'm like, you need to chill out. Dave's hands were the ick for Anna. You know what gives me the ick is Etienne just sitting there laughing while there's, she's got a boat tangled in her hair. Firstly, I want to know how this happened, but never mind. Let's just park that for the moment. But yeah, when he's like, she's got this boat tangled in her hair, kids over there like, being agitated at her and he's just sitting there laughing. I hate that. I hate when people do that. I'm like, either help me or F off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So frustrating. No excuses. Just help. I want to judge Anna for how completely emotionally volatile she is. Like, that is my instinct to just be like, you need to get it together. But then I have also been Anna and I have been this emotionally volatile in this situation. So I'm like, I get it. Like, when you're in a situation like that where you don't really know where you stand with someone, you are, your emotions are heightened. You're not really in control of them. You feel very out of control of everything in your life. So it makes sense. And she also wants someone she can't, like, she feels so strongly, like, this is wrong. I cannot have this person. Etienne's really being unfair because he knows she cares about him and he still like dangles himself in front of her and like he needs to have responsibility for that too even with the kiss I was a bit like you know when he's like if you ask me to kiss you I will I'm like why are you making it her decision I don't understand why you're putting this on her it's like yet again he can just absolve himself from guilt he's just like oh poor me everything just happens to me she asked me to kiss her. What was I going to do? Say no. <laughs> yeah, I just... Although I did think that was a nice... Like, I think part of the reason that he asked was because it was in contrast to Dave just leaning over and kissing her when he had gotten her in trouble for cheating on a pop quiz. Like, this guy is the worst. This is not romantic. Do not get yeah. somebody who's like, does he even know Anna? She's a rule follower. And he has just gotten her in trouble with their teacher for cheating. And then is like, let's just skip school. No. Yeah, I mean, Dave's not great. I don't actually like Dave, but I do feel like Anna's treating him unfairly. So I'm a bit like, meh. Yeah, you're correct on that. Everyone is terrible. Everyone is terrible. Yeah. Everyone. Everyone sucks here. That's the verdict. Yeah. There was so much, um, like, just everybody felt so young in this chapter because it's so terrible. Everything that's happening is so big and so terrible. Also, I thought there was hesitation in the way that all of them behave around each other because of this thing that's happened between Anna and Etienne. It affects everyone because now, like, they're acting weird around each other, which means that everyone else is, like, hesitant about how they involve the group and how it all fits together. And, yeah, Yeah. it just impacts everyone, which is, yeah, horrible. There were some good moments. I will say I did like that Sinclair wasn't, he didn't hesitate at all. There was no hesitation when Anna was, like, genuinely upset. Like, he was like, you're crying. That's the second time tonight. Did you do something? I'll kill him. Like, he has been aware of hurting Anna and he does sometimes say hurtful things, but he's always like immediately like, crap, you called me out and I'm sorry. Mm. He doesn't hesitate to like help her get her room key back because he can see how upset she is. And like, then he wants to talk. He's like, just talk to me. Just tell me what's going on. Tell me what's bothering you. It's it's like he actually does do some good friending at that point. Mm. Um, yeah. So I will say that he's got like, he's able to do the right thing. It's just really frustrating that the big thing he really needs to do, he's not doing. 
And I think that's youth, right? There's just doing things for the wrong reasons because you don't know yeah. what else to do. And I think that's a lot what motivates a lot of this. You know, the Dave thing, even Etienne being meaner to Dave, the way that he can't pull things off with Ellie, the way that Anna can't help herself, like the whole thing. Everyone's just doing stuff for the wrong reasons, but because they don't know what the right thing to do is. Yeah, they haven't got enough experience, I guess, or like age, just lived through mm. enough of this stuff to know. Like th these are the first times they're doing all these things, which is why they're all so hard and so horrible because they're figuring it out. I will say that her being stressed about waking up Nate to get the spare key, which is like, he's going to be so mad. Nate has never displayed any kind of aggro or annoyance. <laughs> he's never been yelling. He's never been mean. I'm like, why do you have this idea that Nate's going to be mad at you? It's literally his job. It probably happens every night. Um, I wonder if Anna is actually, like, kind of going along with Dave because she doesn't want to be rude or unfriendly. Like, we know that she's a bad friend, and she is kind of a bad friend, but she really wants to be liked, so she makes herself very agreeable most of the time. And I'm wondering if that's part of it, because, like, she keeps saying things like, I, w I would rather be in school, but, you know, like, I follow him anyway. And I just wonder if she wants to be liked more than she actually wants to experience what she's experiencing. Yeah, she doesn't want to rock the boat, right? This is why I found it so interesting when she was talking about becoming a film critic in the previous section where she was like, oh, I yeah. like to share my opinion. Because I'm like, do you? Because there's no evidence that you ever yeah. go against the grain. That you. That's why it's so weird she hangs out with this arty crowd as well. Because she's not much of an individual. No, she's still figuring herself out. I do think that she fits in with the arty crowd because she loves a certain type of art, though. Like, she really loves film itself. And I think that maybe wanting to be a film critic is about her wanting to have a place to say her opinion where it's, like, really low stakes. Because, like, her little, whatever it is, WordPress blog or Geocities mm. or whatever, <laughs> like, it's very low stakes. She doesn't yeah, really have, like, she's got one reader and that's hercules you know it's contained yeah it's like she doesn't have to tell anybody it's her secret blog she's still growing though you, like that's definitely a youth thing you want to have a voice you want to be putting yourself out there but you also don't want anybody to actually know you or perceive you because that would be terrible you know i think she fits in with the art cred just because she understands and appreciates a form of art and they all kind of do as well Mm. Uh, when Rashmi's like it's classic boy pulling girls pigtail syndrome I'm like we need to train this out of discourse please let's just get rid of it let's talk about this I agree it's not a thing that is not a thing but I think that she's not wrong no. because then she follows it up with saying but the second that anyone else tries to do any sort of teasing he immediately tells them to shove it which is where we actually see that like okay I get where she's going with this yeah. But you can't neg people into liking you. And I don't think Sinclair does, but he does kind of like no. tease and roll his eyes and like they goof around. I think she's definitely right about the whole analysis. But I, I think as a society, we need to move away from this. Oh, he's yes. pulling your pigtails because he likes you nonsense. Because one, it justifies bad behavior in boys. And two, it sets bad expectations for girls who think, oh, if he treats me badly, he must love me. No, it's a no from yeah. me. We're not doing this anymore. What's that awful phrase? Treat her mean, keep her keen, something like that. Yeah. F that ass. If somebody is mean to you, just tell them to stuff it. And they're not worth your time. If people can't be kind, then bin them. If people continue to do things that you tell them is hurtful, then I'm sorry, they don't care about you. The behavior is suggesting that they do not care. So stop putting in effort. Yeah. It's also not nice for, to tell, like, especially with that phrase, you know, the, the whole pulling girls pigtails thing. It's mm. not nice to minimize women or young girls' objections to behavior to be like, oh, well, you should just tolerate it. No. Why do we do this? And why do we do it with such young girls as well? Because that starts in like kindy, that sort of nonsense. 
Yeah. My daughter had a moment last year at camp where a boy pushed her and kind of pushed her somewhere personal on her body. And she was like, no, you can't touch me there. And she was immediately like, no, it wasn't intentional abusive kind of thing. But she just laid out the boundaries really clearly. And because they're very good at boundaries in that school, he was like, I didn't do it like that. I didn't do it like that. She's like, yeah, but you still did it. It could have been he said, she said, but the principal caught on to it and was like, no, no, she's absolutely right. You did push her there. She said, no, you have to listen to that and respect that. And he's like, but I didn't mean. And the principal was like, nope, that's not the point. (laughs) Yeah. And I thought that was such a good way of looking at it. Whether you meant to hurt someone or not, whether you meant to, you cross this boundary and you still have to account for it and apologize and change that behavior. We are always going to hurt people inadvertently in our lives Mm. and we just have to be okay with like owning up to it and changing our behavior absolutely yeah i definitely agree like when someone tells you that you've hurt them there's no point relitigating that you have to just accept that their feelings are their feelings there's no point going back and forth on that you just have to accept that the reason you try to relitigate it is because it makes you feel bad like anna like she feels bad for hurting meredith but you can't like you just have to sit with that that is not meredith's problem it's not your friend's problem you have to sit with that hurt and you have to make sure that you don't do it again and if you can't if that's too much for you then you have to have a think about whether you want to be in that person's life because is that really the best thing to do and I also think like when you tell someone that they've hurt you you can't assume that they've done that maliciously like often it's just inadvertent like calling someone out does not mean cancelling them or being horrible to them it's just saying hey this thing happened it made me feel like this we're still good though you know if they write a thousand page book about how society is persecuting someone suspiciously like them oh No, you can cancel I, them though. I woke up to that Google alert and I just screenshot it and sent it back to my work chat, being like, "What is happening? What is this? Why won't she go away? I would actually pay money at this point to make her go away." Yeah, I read the last strike book because I was like, I need to know. I wanted to be able to speak to its contents, and I'm not trans, so I thought, as a person who is not trans, I'm not likely to be triggered by the trans content in it but I wanted to be able to like answer questions if anyone asked me or if anyone wanted to come to me so I put it out on like my socials and I'm like I'm gonna read this book if you feel comfortable asking me I will tell you what I read but like you don't have to go through it yourself basically and after that I was like yep I'm done now I'm officially finished like that was the last one I've read I just needed to be able to speak to it but I'm not gonna do that again this time (laughs) I cannot believe the audacity of the premise of this book. The fact that you would write something like that. And then when people were rightly going, um, excuse me, WTF, for her to then turn around and go, no, it's not motivated by any of my experiences. What is wrong with you? Has she got the Anne Rice writer shield? Has she got that where she could just write whatever she wants and her editors are like, okay, well you like literally are the golden goose laying the golden eggs. So, okay. But for how long though? Because that's what I want to know. How long can she, because I don't know who's buying this book. How well did the last one do? I'm assuming not very well. Did you read The Casual Vacancy? Yep, I read that. I didn't mind it. It was very long, though. Unnecessarily long. It was super long. It needed to be a lot less long. And it was also just hard to read. Like, it was very joyless. Yeah, it was joyless. I don't want to spend 600 pages or whatever reading something that makes me feel like crap. Why would anyone want to do that? I feel like the strike books are that. If you're hanging out for the pairing, I don't know if the pairing will ever happen. She's not particularly good at writing pairings that do happen. Full disclosure, I really enjoyed them. I read the first couple. Yeah. And then I think I got to the fourth one and I was like, what is happening with this relationship between these two characters? And then I think it's the one where she gets engaged to her partner and I'm like, nah, I'm out. I'm not waiting for this. I don't know what this is. The mysteries themselves are not 
good enough to hold it together. They're very samey. Like, the characters aren't growing. Like, Strike doesn't grow at all. It's kind of like, no. I'm done. Yeah, look, I was really in it because I thought that the, the ship had promise. And it did. Like, it did. But, like, again, they got married. And I was like, why? Like, you know it's a bad idea. Life is messy. I want fiction to be something that has, like, especially when it's mystery, it needs to feel satisfying. And if it's not satisfying, no. Nah. Anyway, tangent. Yeah, tangent. Worthy tangent. So we are allowed to cancel people. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, of course, of course, of course. But our friends, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's it's good to give people the opportunity to, like, you, you can say it and then move forward. And also hearing it. Yeah, listen to someone, hear what they're saying. Don't immediately go on the defense of being like, but I was just doing this and it was their fault. Like, you just have to sit with it, which is horrible. I fully disclose that it's horrible, especially when you feel like you've hurt someone that you care about. It's horrible. And, but what can you do? We're always going to hurt people. So you just have to be a better person. My first therapist, Nisha, had a great saying for this, which is surfing the discomfort, where it's like you have to sit in the discomfort and just ex- experience it. And one of the things I really work on is like being okay with feeling uncomfortable because I really don't like feeling uncomfortable. Mm. Yeah. And also just remember you are vast and you contain multitudes. And if someone is mad at you for one thing that you've done, that doesn't make you a horrible person. That's just one mistake that you've made or one thing about you that's maybe not good and you can work on that or you can choose not to. That is also a valid decision to make, yeah. but it's not a value judgment on you. Like the way that Anna just acts, like everything is rejection because she can't separate the different facets of her life, right? Like everything yeah. is just one moment. And I do wonder why she feels that way because aside from the Toph Bridget thing, she's kind of had everything going for her. Like she ended up not dating a guy who was really into her because she wasn't feeling it. And then she got shunted away. But like, it's not like she was rejected from this prestigious school. It's not like she couldn't make any friends. No. Why is she feeling so rejected? What is the actual mechanism that makes her so insecure? Is it just youth? Is it just the fact that she can't be with Sinclair? And that feels like rejection. It's like, he won't break up with Ellie for me. And that is the ultimate rejection. Because she's wounded in that way. Because she feels she's hurting so much from that. Everything else feels like rejection. Yeah. It really is awful that he can't just do the thing he needs to do. Yeah. I really feel for everybody in this friend group. It is just a bad time all around. Truly. Um, I do like that Anna and Rashmi are better friends now. I like that that mm. heart to heart that they have where she's like, oh, wait, you're actually a whole entire person with thoughts and feelings and emotions and like a former best friend that you haven't been able to talk to. And she even has this thing of like, oh, I thought Josh would be enough, but maybe that's not the case. You're so close, Anna. You are so close. Boyfriends, not enough. You need a whole friend group. You need people that you can rely on in different situations. She's almost Yeah, there. I love that she says that and then yet <laughs> she like hinges her entire wagon to Sinclair. It's like, honey, you'll get there one day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you would hope that she would get there, but then I also know a lot of people... I- I'm sure you know people as well who are just always in relationships. Like, as always, as long as I've known them, been in relationships and makes that relationship their entire personality, right? And it's just like, yeah. it breaks up and then a month later they're in another relationship and I just, I've never understood it. I'm like, where has this person come from? Where have you found them? I don't understand. The Anne Perkins of people. Mm. You know how Anne was always having boyfriends and like changing her personality to fit Yeah. Into yes. But at what cost? <laughs> Oh, there's a line on page 316 that really got me when 
Anna's really upset and she says 18 year olds shouldn't need their mother lies you can need your mom at any age you can need your dad at any age you can need your sisters or brothers or aunts or uncles or best friends at any age there is no age you grow up and stop needing people no. especially parents I want the concept that you have to be a fully formed and independent human being as a teenager gone when I was having a tough time just before our COVID situation my mum's like do you want me to come and I was like yes and she came and stayed with me for a week and I was horrible to her the entire time I was here but it was mainly because I was going through a really tough time but she was there for me and yeah 33 years old 32 whatever it was back then how old you were part of the job of being a parent is that if your kid needs you even if they're old enough to handle it you're like yeah I'm here what can I do yeah that's just that's how I view it anyway from the perspective of a parent. Oh, I think if my kid needs me and even if they're grumpy and disgusting and unhappy, then like that's what I'm there for. I'm there to do the job. I want to do the job. Hmm. That's why I signed up for it. I wonder if Anna just reacts that way as well because she had such a horrible time at home and her mum wasn't particularly patient or kind to her when she was at home. So maybe she's just like, yeah. they've all moved on anyway, so again I'm so angry at her dad for doing this because he didn't give anybody a choice like her mom was kind of like okay I really need to go along with this like I don't feel like her mom really had a choice to say no Anna staying here because financially if you're struggling and you've got two kids to support and like your ex kind of sometimes helps out but he's offering to like literally room and board and better education the older one you're gonna go yeah that's a lot of like week to week expenses you get this vibe that like it's a financial decision for her but she didn't really get a choice about it she didn't have the choice to make mm. but she loses her kid a year before she's meant to that's the thing like in in the u.s you, you your kids go through high school after high school they can go off to college and you're still like supporting them and looking after them but they're like on mm. their own and she she misses the last year she misses it so of course they're not good they're going to be at cross purposes over christmas and so anna's sort of like i should be okay with this by now we've already been living apart for so long but like she still wants her mom because of course you do when that's your primary parent it's interesting you've mentioned that you know she loses her a year early because all those milestones which is the parent you also mark so the prom thing like you know we were talking before about is Anna actually a bit upset about the prom what's that such a and you mentioned that it's such a cultural moment like such a milestone in your development so for the mum as well you know she's not going to see Anna's prom photos which is probably something that she thought she would have yeah yeah yeah. if you need your mom you need your mom that's like no judgment that's just the thing that happens um, I also want to talk about the line on page 312 where they've just been discovered and she says, how can we let this happen? He has a girlfriend and we both have a friend who's in love with him. The secret that isn't a secret and never has been. I just wonder why nobody has sat Meredith down and been like, "Hun, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. I just think it's so awkward in a friend group like that. It's gone on for so long that you can't have the conversation. You know, everyone knows it's happening. Everyone knows this is an awkward thing, but how... How do you broach it? And maybe because Meredith, like, you know, she is friends with him. He does talk to her. So she knows he's not having a great time with Ellie. And maybe she also just thinks, oh, when he breaks up with her, because it will happen, you know, they're not in a good place. And he just needs to get right in his head to make that decision. And when he's there, he'll see that I've been here for him all along. But then this interloper arrives on the scene. It's so sad. It's so like, I completely feel for Meredith here. And I think even though she's not justified in being mean, she's hurting just as much. Oh, this has reminded me of another time when Anna was just a terrible friend. When she's talking about Rashmi, she's like, oh, why haven't I tapped Rashmi for information about Sinclair before? Because, like, she talks to Josh and Josh (laughs) talks to him. So I could have found out all these things. This is horrible. So now you're like, oh, I'll be friends with her because I can get information out of her. (laughs) Horrific. She's just a teenager who has not figured it out yet. I think Rashmi is a fantastic friend once you get under the, like, 
prickliness and the not wanting to do stuff. Like once you're actually in with her, you're in forever. Mm. That's my feeling. Did you have any other youth or I feel like we've expunged. No, <laughs> I had a lot of ranting to do and I feel like I've done it all. So Yay. I just wanted to talk about the homophobia and how I keep seeing this in social media places where people are like, don't say queer. And I just mm. want to say right now that like I've got friends who put selfies of themselves up and they're like big dyke energy and I am like here for it and I love it. And I think it is in how you use it because there isn't a day that goes by that I don't think of that identifying as queer versus like someone calling you a queer. One is a slur and one isn't, but that doesn't mean the word itself is a slur. When I was in high school, I had a bully and he called me a lesbian all the time. And that was like his way of treating me badly. And like lesbian isn't a slur. It's just Mm. he was using it that way. And like it was such a dumb thing for him to say, but it really bothered me because he was singling me out and he was being horrible to me. I think about that a lot. Like the way that we speak is more to the point of what actually constitutes a slur, especially when it comes to like language around your identity so it's not a slur and really bothers me that Amanda is immediately using that as something to be horrible about because it's not Mm. like it's just not something that isn't an insult it's people being gay is not an insult it's just a thing no I agree and I do also yeah I've seen the same discourse about the queer thing and it's kind of like if someone is using it to describe themselves then it's obviously not being used as a slur so just move on with your life like if someone is describing themselves it's the same with people being like oh you shouldn't call yourself fat right if someone decides they want to call themselves fat because it is just a word and it's just a descriptor and that is just what they want to use don't get in the comments and be like you shouldn't say that just leave people alone they can describe themselves however they want it's when other people weaponize those Mm. words which is very obvious when it's being done like it's very clear yeah i don't know why we have to litigate this you know why is this discourse unnecessary discourse stop discoursing we don't have to have opinions about everything yeah you know when someone's insulting you and you know when someone's yeah but it's almost worse when you're like actually a fat person and someone's like oh don't call yourself that i just want to be like do you not have eyeballs (laughs) like do you not see that i'm a person of size because it's like i'm not putting a moral value on it but then when people tell me not to say that about myself i'm like oh you have a moral value about it that exactly it yeah it's the same i have this argument at work all the time because my workplace is really bad about moralizing food so it's always like oh i'm trying to be good today I'm, i've had so many bad things to eat i'm like you've just eaten food stop moralizing food it's annoying yeah calories are calories you need them i put up a passive aggressive note on our snack shelf our team has a snack shelf that says food has no moral value and then someone took it down <gasps> so i don't know i've clearly upset someone good they should be upset I they agree. should stop making comments about whether or not cookies are bad for you. Cookies are delightful. Just eat what you want. It doesn't matter. Anyway. Eat the food that feels right. Once I stopped attaching a moral value to food and started being like, yeah, this sounds really good. Then it was like, actually, I'm eating a lot more things that are enjoyable and pleasurable to eat. And it actually encompassed a bigger range. When I stopped looking at food as this like thing that I had to control, I started looking yeah. at my body as something I had to fill up and nourish. It just changed so much. Mm. And also when you have kids and like you're just trying to get them to their markers and weight goals and you're like, well, I guess we're drinking full cream milk and full fat sour cream on everything from now on because like you got picky eaters who won't eat. You're like, guess what? Ice cream on everything. <laughs> like you need thought, calories to grow. I thought of you the other day because there was this tweet about like, yeah, if you've got picky eaters, try this. Help ask your toddler what they want to have for dinner. Take them to the supermarket to buy the ingredients. Help them cook their own food and then watch as they still won't eat their dinner. <laughs> yep it's like you were there for every step of the way all of it was your choice and still you don't want to eat it the struggle is real eat food 
it's good for you. It's not a moral judgment. Just eat food. Nourish yourself. You only have the one life. Live it. Amen. Um, so did you have anything else or are we on to tangential? I have, I think I've already done all my tangential. I was just complaining about Mike. There was only one thing I had, which was I liked the bit about them holding hands, but then it was immediately undone by the fact that they started making out. And I was like, oh man, we missed it. We were so close, but we missed it. It was very uh, intense, wasn't it? The only other thing I want to say was, I love the line on page 305 when Anna talks about everywhere I look, Par- Parisians are smiling. We haven't seen sunshine in months because I'm like, this is big Wellington energy. Like, honestly, <laughs> it's been raining for weeks on end. We haven't seen the sun and then we've had two good days this week and everyone's just like pressed up against the window being like, oh my gosh, it's sunny. We're all feeling so good about life. Um, yeah, it's, the, the struggle is real when you don't see the sun a lot of the time and you're like, oh, that's why I was in a bad mood. I just needed some vitamin D. I'll do my best to bring it with me. You are coming in our worst season. Like, I'm sorry, spring is the worst time in Wellington. Well, I like all weather. Like, I'm happy with all weather. <laughs> the thing I'm most worried about is, like, earthquakes. So I did my little, like, what to do in an earthquake, and I Googled it. So I have some plans now, which is good. We haven't had one in a while, touch wood. But, yeah, we'll handle it. I assume your house won't fall off the side of the hill. But if it does, we'll probably survive, so. Yeah, no, I don't think the house will fall down the hill. The stairs up to the house might fall down the hill, but... It's survived so far, and we've had over, like, 800 slips in Wellington over the last two weeks. So it's been pretty intense. Like I said, I'll do my best to bring this on with me. I took it to Cardiff with me when I went. Delightful. Should we move on to in-depth? Yes, I do have an in-depth marginalia. This is basically the bit where Anna is being really horrible after her hungover post-birthday breakfast, and she realizes that she's never tried to really engage with Rashmi ever, and she um, is now simply asking her how she is, which, you know, leads to poor Rashmi to spill everything because she hasn't had anyone to talk to. And yeah, Anna realizes that Rashmi maybe doesn't have everything as together as she thought she did. So it's page 281. And the whole time she's spilling her guts, I feel so ashamed. I never realized she didn't have anyone to talk with. I mean, I know Ellie was her best friend and she wasn't around anymore, but somehow I forgot that meant Rashmi didn't have anyone else. Or maybe I assumed Josh was enough. So youth, because Anna is being peak selfish youth, She's got the blinkers on, doesn't really think about anyone Mm. else or anyone else's experience. I think it's also Mm. hesitation, though, because one, it's her lack of hesitation that leads to this confrontation. Like, she says something snappy and mean to Rashmi, which Rashmi snaps back at, and that allows them to have this moment. But it's also hesitation from Anna because she's a little bit scared of Rashmi. She doesn't really know where their relationship is, so she doesn't really want to talk to her, right? So there's hesitation around asking people in-depth questions when you don't really know them, which, you know, I relate to because I don't talk to anyone ever. Um, But the thing that I really thought of was the film about a boy, which is a film I absolutely love. Mm. And there's a line in it where Marcus talks about how he suddenly realized, the quote is, Suddenly I realized two people isn't enough. You need backup. If you're only two people and someone drops off the edge, then you're on your own. Two isn't a large enough number. You need three at least. Also, this whole undercurrent of the whole film is Will being like, I am an island. No one touches me. Nothing touches me. And then at the end of the film, you've got this great dual narrative from both of them where Will says, Every man is an island. I stand by that but clearly some men are island chains. Underneath, they're all connected. And Marcus says, I used to think that two was not enough, but now things are great. There are loads of people. Because they are in a community at the end of this film. They've like yeah. both found a group of people who care about them. We have spoken about how one person shouldn't be responsible for fulfilling all your needs. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting concept. And I think I often feel, and it's been particularly pronounced for me recently, that I sometimes feel like people put all their emotional eggs in my basket. And it is a mm. lot of pressure to feel like that. I don't 
don't want to be one person's everything. I don't want to be responsible for one person's emotional well-being. I don't want to be the single point of failure. Like that's what it feels like sometimes. It's like if I drop the ball, then they're on their own and I can't, I can't have that. That's like too hard for me. And I really love this idea that one person shouldn't be responsible for all your needs. And I love that about my friendship group is that I have friends for different things. Like I will go to different friends for different reasons. If I want to go to a sport game, I know I've got friends for that. If I want to go out dancing, I've got friends for that. If I want to go for a nice dinner, everyone has a different function. They all function on different things. They're all equally important to me. I love them all equally, but they just fulfill very different needs in me. And I think that's why I feel so, like I feel like my life is really full. And I think it's because of that, because all these needs are met by different people and I'm never overloading one person. So yeah, I think going forward, just remember that people have stuff going on that you do not know about. So just be kind, but also diversify your portfolio. One isn't enough. We need a community. So have a community. We're stronger together. You're absolutely right. And I love that too. I think that's something that it's really hard when you're young. You sort of think you need to find the one. And we even say the one as if like one person could really be enough. I mean, because we all have our own stuff and everybody we meet is going through it in some way or another. But the best thing we can do is form that like web, that community, because the more links there are, the, the bigger the net to catch you if something happens. Exactly. It's... And the stronger you will be. So, yeah. There is this idea that when you're with someone romantically, you become so much of their life. Like, that's really tough. Yeah, or that the idea that your romantic loss is going to be somehow worse. Loss isn't just a romantic partner. Which is why it's so weird that we don't deal with friendship breakups better as a society. We It's never really spoken about. You just stop talking yeah. to someone and you move on. No one has any empathy for that. But it's such a difficult thing. Like, when you lose a friend, it's still a loss. It's still a breakup something that I've experienced is you don't get that it's over I'm done I've here's all of your stuff in a box like you don't have those moments when your friendships kind of wither so there isn't like this clear like oh we broke up it's like oh I don't really see them anymore and there's still a lot of grief there and loss and we don't really have like a a formalization of that if that makes Mm. sense I do think that there's something to be said for that like just communicate just say the thing but it's really hard. We don't, you're right. We don't, as a culture, have a narrative around. No, because we prioritize romantic love above all other kinds of love, which I think is, it's a loss for us because you can be strong. You need all sorts. You need the community. They all mesh yeah. together. So, yes. Yeah. I love that. Thank you, Jen. What was your in-depth marginalia? Oh, mine was on page 313. It's when Anna has just been abandoned tragically by Etienne, who's run after Meredith, and she's like falling to pieces. And Rashmi's like, well, he shouldn't have led Meredith on. That's for sure. And Josh says he's never once given her the impression that he liked her more than a friend. I think it really is a theme. Like, neither of them really hesitate to defend their, like, friend. So Rashmi is team Meredith. Josh is team Claire, I guess, if we're doing that team thing. They're both right, though. And this is the thing that I find really interesting is, like, yeah, Etienne did kind of lead Meredith on. But even if it was just by omission, by, like, not saying no, he was Mm. always very friendly and lovely. And he must have known she had feelings. And didn't ever say, like, it's never going to happen. I just don't think about you that way. Because not doing that means that she doesn't have the opportunity to, like, move on. And I think part of that is youth, right? Like, you don't you don't know how to have those conversations. You don't know how to say thanks but no thanks. Mm-hmm. I also think that Josh and Rashmi are being very young and they're bickering. <laughs> that they're like, I'm right. No, I'm right. Like, they just don't have the nuance. And I think that's something that you do learn with age. I've been thinking about, like, because I'm mentally packing for this trip, and I'm like, what am I going to bring? What movies are we going to watch? What do I want to have? Like, downloading stuff from my devices. And then I was like, oh, I need a specific 
connector because I can't just connect your TV to my laptop or iPad. So I have to get a dongle. And I was like, sometimes you just don't have the right dongle. And that works in relationships too. Like it's so silly, but like, it's like Sinclair had the HDMI cable and Meredith only had USB-C and they just needed to have something that could translate those things so that they could actually connect. So I guess my point is sometimes you have to work to find the right dongle. (laughs) Hesitate, take a moment, look for the dongle, and then you can maybe communicate and actually get some clarity going on. (laughs) Have the right dongle. Hey, I've got a Chromecast, so you can just cast to my TV. It should be fine. Oh, nice. I have used one of those before. I might even remember how to do it. You just need a tech solution. That's what Rashmi and Josh need. A tech solution. Get a Chromecast. It'll solve it all. Meet each other in the middle. I love it. Who did you want to spotlight this week? I'm spotlighting Rashmi because I think her friends are kind of all terrible and no one ever asks about her and she just has to like put up with all this nonsense and I think she deserves better. Like her best friend literally does not talk to her anymore. That is horrible. She's having a fight with her boyfriend every other day. Her little sister is hanging out with a really rude, horrible crowd. Mm. Nah, 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 nah. Rashmi deserves better. Justice for Rashmi. Justice for Rashmi, for sure. This is one of those books that, like, the more I read it, the more I'm like, every other character makes a better protagonist. But anyway, (laughs) no shade on Anna, but kind of shade on Anna. Oh, I mean, like, that's kind of the appeal of Anna, right? Is that she is so flawed. Like, I love that she just very much thinks she's the main character in everyone else's life. And I'm like, you're just not. It's just not what is happening. It's so funny to watch. Who do you want to spotlight? I want to spotlight Isla. So Isla had a really hard time. She's bullied a lot by the popular girls as well. And she really is very shy and she's like super quiet. But she was there when Anna was defending Meredith and she spoke up and said, hey, I saw what happened. I want to make sure that I clear the deck, so to speak. She's standing up for what's right. And I think it's really hard to do that sometimes, especially when like the social, like you're spending a lot of social capital to do that. And like Mm -hmm. she's definitely burning a lot of social capital doing that. But I'm really proud of her. So yeah, kudos to Isla. Yeah, it's a hard thing. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Well, next week we'll be reading chapters 40 through 43 through the theme of opportunity. Ooh, very exciting. Fun. Hopefully less ranting, though. That was, this was a very, <laughs> I was very annoyed this week. I'm like, come on, everybody's Oof. being their worst selves. Yeah, it was a lot, hey. It was a lot. Mm-hmm. But that is the use for you. So what can you do? Mm. Well, thank you so much for potting with me today. It was wonderful. Thank you. It was delightful. A lot of ranting that I had to get out of my system. So thank you for providing me with the forum. Anytime. I love your rants. They're always fantastic. You do a good (laughs) rage quit. And I think that that is a very valuable dramatic skill. Thank you. Thank you. I try. (laughs) Well, I will see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. Marginally Potter is written, edited, and produced by Jen D and Jen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed our chat, you can subscribe to Marginally Potter on your podcast platform of your choice. Your support means the world to us. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. For extended show notes or to find out more about us, visit us at www.marginaliapod.com.